morning, everyone. My name's Stephen. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. If you could please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're in the middle of our series called I Am, which is from the book of John. We're going to be in John 4, 126 this morning. I'd like to begin just by praying. So would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for giving us the freedom and the privilege to come to you and to worship you and to hear the Bible and to read the Bible, the Word of God. Lord, I pray that it would affect us this morning by the power of your Spirit. Let it affect our hearts. Help me, God, to preach in such a way that you're honored. Lord, we desperately, desperately need you. Lord, let your Word penetrate deep into our hearts. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. John chapter 4, verse, starting in verse 1. But before I read, I want to begin by, start off by talking about a subject that can be a bit sensitive in this area. It's the subject of Tom Brady. And... Uh, Regardless of what you think about Tom Brady, uh, you've got to admit he's been one of the most successful quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. He's won three Super Bowls. He has set numerous passing records. He's a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. He's got more money than any of us could ever dream of having. He's married to a beautiful woman. And you would think that if anyone would be generally happy, I mean, this guy has met basically every goal he ever set for his life. If you would, if you would think anyone, there was a, a person who would say, I've got it, you would think it would be Tom Brady. But I don't know if you've seen this interview or not. In an interview Tom Brady did with 60 Minutes, he, he just gives us a little glimpse into his heart, and I've asked them if they could just play it. It's just a very brief clip. Um, so I just want to watch this together, this interview with Tom Brady. And I especially pay attention at the end. That's where he says what I believe is very important. Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is not only one of the NFL's best players, he's one of the NFL's great stories. At the tender age of 30, he has already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that ranks him with some of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And he's having one of the greatest seasons in pro football history. When we first reported on him back in 2005, he seemed underrated and almost overlooked. He doesn't have the arm of Peyton Manning, and he doesn't have tattoos, and he doesn't take steroids, and he's never held out for more money. All he knows how to do is win. <laughs> it's what you always wanted. You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. 
In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. Hey, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. <laughs> but with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is... Me, I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Doesn't that strike you as amazing? He says, there's got to be more than this. And then the interviewer says, what is it? And he says, I wish I knew. This morning, I'm, I'm really grateful because we're going to get to see what's missing from Tom Brady's life and from so many other people. We're going to see Jesus going out of his way to reach out to a woman who has looked everywhere for satisfaction and yet still hasn't got it. And we're going to see Jesus reaching out to a woman who it seems like she's basically burned out and dissatisfied in the world. And the first thing we're going to see in this passage, and we're going to just kind of read it piece by piece since it's a longer passage, but the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus is the source of satisfaction. So let's read uh, verses 1 to 6 together. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples... He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he came to pass, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So, Here's the scene that's getting set up for us. We're told that Jesus leaves Judea. He starts heading for Galilee. And now, if you were a traveler, there were basically two ways you could go from Judea to Galilee. You could go the Google Maps way, which would take you the shortest route, straight from Judea down through Samaria to Galilee. Or you could take the long way around, and go around Samaria. Now, if you were a strict Jew during this time, if you were a pious, strict Jew, you did not want to go through Samaria. You wanted to go the long way around Samaria, because going to Samaria, that was like going to the other side of the tracks. You didn't want to go there if you were a pious Jew, because Jews and Samaritans did not like each other and did not get along with each other at all. And Samaritans, if you don't know anything about the Bible, the Samaritans were a group of people who were part Jewish, and then they had mixed with other races. And they had taken the Jewish religion that had been given to Moses and then developed throughout the Old Testament, and they had perverted that religion, and they had created their own temple on top of this mountain called Gerizim. And so there was this deep division between Jews and Samaritans. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews. 
And the Jews thought that Samaritans were unclean, ceremonially ceremonially unclean. So if you were a good, righteous Jew, you went around Samaria. And the Jews thought that the Samaritans were sort of like half-breeds who had abandoned the one and only true God. And if you were a Jew, it wasn't like you were going to invite the Samaritans to come over for to dinner or to join your fantasy football league or to go buck hunting with you. Jews and Samaritans generally didn't hang out with each other. But I love what we're told here. It says, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Do you see that one little word? I love that. And he had to pass through Samaria. And I love this because it it shows God taking Jesus and directing him and leading him right into the middle of this mess. It's like God is saying, Jews and Samaritans, you guys don't like each other. Let's bring Jesus right into the middle of this whole mess. And we see Jesus, a righteous Jew, he's going straight through Samaria. And more importantly, we see the gospel, the good news of salvation, pushing outward and pushing forward to people that it hadn't reached before. And I love that. It's overcoming all these social and racial barriers. And as they're traveling through Samaria, they stop at this place near a town called Sychar. And it's about 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And Jesus is, I mean, if you've been outside all day on a hot summer day hiking or working, you know what you feel like around midday. And it says says Jesus is wearied from the journey, and he's hot, and he's weary and exhausting. And I can just picture Jesus sitting on the edge of Jacob's well, his hand in his head, sweat just pooling off his nose, his face smeared. They've been walking through desert areas, his face smeared in this desert grime, and the sun's beating down on him, the energy's getting sucked out of him. And as I was reading this, you know what struck me about this? This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is the one who the Bible calls the only immortal, the only eternal, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who sustains the universe by the word of his power. And he's sitting on the edge of a well, exhausted. Isn't that mind-blowing? Doesn't that show the incredible humility of Jesus Christ in becoming a man? And just how human he was. He wasn't invincible. He wasn't indestructible. He had bones that creaked and backs that ached, a back that ached and muscles that were exhausted. What a humble Savior we have. God, I can just imagine him so thirsty, his throat dry, like that sticky, cottony feel you get in your mouth when you're just incredibly thirsty. And as Jesus is sitting there, he hears, or maybe he sees, he hears someone coming, he looks up, and look at verse 7. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. He sees a Samaritan woman coming to draw water out of the well. And this is a weird sight. This probably doesn't strike us as a weird sight, but back in this day, this is a weird sight. And here's why. First of all, it is the hottest part of the day. 
smart women don't come and draw water at 12 noon when the sun is beating down. They come in the evening when it's cool. Also, she's coming alone. And usually when women would go and get water from a well, they would go in groups. And so when you see this woman coming to the well in the middle of the day, all by herself, you know that something weird's going on here. Surely Jesus, well, Jesus was God, so he had supernatural knowledge. But even on the face of it, surely he could sense something is off about this. It's like if you're in the the parking lot of Walmart at 2 o'clock in the morning and you see someone purchasing stereo equipment out of the back of the car, you, you would probably suspect, unless it was Black Friday, you would probably suspect that something goofy was going on. Because normally you don't buy stereo equipment at Walmart at 2 a.m. out of the trunk of somebody's car. Something's not right. So when Jesus sees this lady coming, he knows something is off. And so she comes up to the well, and maybe she says hello to Jesus. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe she keeps silent and just begins to draw water out of the well. And then Jesus does something. I love how Jesus operates, because it's like he doesn't care about social norms. He doesn't care about what other people think. He does something that shocks this woman. And in verse 7, look at what Jesus says to her. He just says, give me a drink. He asks her for a drink. And by doing this, what Jesus is doing is he is obliterating all the social rules that surrounded how men and women and Jews and Samaritans were supposed to interact with each other. Because generally, if you were a godly, fearing, righteous Jew, you, you didn't speak to women in public because it could be seen or construed as inappropriate. And yet here's Jesus just talking to this woman in broad daylight, give me a drink. And also, the Jews weren't supposed to share drinking and eating vessels with Samaritans. Because they thought Samaritans were unclean and that if they drank from a cup that a Samaritan had drank from, or if they ate from a bowl that a Samaritan had eaten from, that they would be ceremonially ceremonially unclean in God's eyes. And so they weren't going to share a drinking glass with a Samaritan. And yet Jesus is saying to this woman, could you please give me a drink? And so for a a Jewish man to ask for a drink from a Samaritan woman, that's unheard of. And the Samaritan woman responds. She, trust me, she knows all the social norms going on here. She's not stupid. She says, in verse 7 it says, or uh, in verse 9, I'm sorry, it says, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink? From me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, that little parenthesis doesn't mean they don't have any dealings whatsoever. It just means they don't interchange vessels. They don't drink from each other's cups because they did purchase things from one another. But they weren't going to be sharing glasses with one another. She's like, I can almost imagine her being like, excuse me? Did I hear you right? Me? You want me to give you a drink? You want me, a Samaritan woman, to give you a drink? Are you sure you understand what you're asking? She didn't know what to make of this 
I don't know, probably in her eyes, somewhat odd Jewish guy sitting by the well. And so Jesus says to her, I love this verse. Look down at verse 10. Love this verse. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, it's like Jesus is saying to her, if you knew who I am, if you really knew who I am, if you, and if you knew what I was offering to you, you would say, forget about all the social conventions. Forget about all this stuff. Give me what you have to drink. If you knew, Jesus is saying, if you knew what I could give you, you'd be down on your knees begging me to give you a drink. You wouldn't be so caught up in the fact that you're a Samaritan and I'm a Jew. You'd have dropped everything and said, give me living water. But the woman, and if put yourself in this woman's place. I mean, this had to be like, mind-boggling to her. There's just no categories in her mind for what's taking place. And so she still doesn't get, she has no idea what Jesus is talking about. She's perplexed at this guy sitting by the well. So she says to Jesus, verse 11, she says, The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She doesn't, she's like, I, you know, I don't know, she doesn't know his name, but sir, I don't know, like, if you've paid attention to, like, how exactly a well works, but generally they run deep, and I, you can't just reach down in with your hand and get water. Where's your bucket? Where's your bucket? How are you going to get this water out of here? And then she says to him, in verse 12, she says, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did the sons in his livestock. She's saying, surely, mister, mister living water man, surely you don't think you're greater than our father Jacob. Jacob was one of the heroes of the Jewish faith, and God often revealed himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob had dug this well, and it had given people water for thousands of years. And so she's like, surely, whoever you are, you don't think you're greater than Jacob. I mean, he's given us this well, and we've been drinking from it for thousands of years. Do you really think you're greater than him? And then Jesus says this incredibly profound statement. Look at verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, if you drink from this well, here, let me tell you what's going to happen. You drink from this well, you're going to get thirsty again. You're going to come back tomorrow at noon by yourself, dip your bucket in. You're going to be thirsty again. But I want to offer you something 
better. I want to offer you a water that if you drink it, you're never, ever going to be thirsty again. In fact, I want to offer you a water that when you drink it, it's going to be in you, and it's going to spring up to a well of eternal life. That's the kind of water I want to offer you. That's what Jesus is saying to this woman. And he knows, I think Jesus knows that he's dealing with a woman who is desperately thirsty. I don't think she knows she's thirsty. But he's dealing with a woman who is not desperately physically thirsty, but desperately spiritually thirsty. He's looking at a woman who is unsatisfied. He's looking at a woman who has this deep longing that she probably can't even put her finger on, but she's thirsty. And there's a deep thirst in her that she has never been able to satisfy. She has tried. She cannot satisfy this spiritual thirst in her. And Jesus is, I love this, he's finally, he's here. God sent him to this woman to finally offer the water that's going to satisfy her. I love that God goes after people like that. Jesus is offering to satisfy this woman. He's saying, you drink from this, well, you're going to be thirsty. I'm going to give you water that will never let you be thirsty. And everywhere you look, everywhere we look, at school, at work, our friends, on television, in movies, in music, everywhere you look, aren't people desperately thirsty? There's a a song by a guy named John Mayer. And the song is one of the saddest songs for me as a Christian to listen to because he runs through this whole list of all that he has. And he has friends and he has money. And he has people waiting for him when he gets home. And and the whole chorus, the chorus is just repeat over and over again of something's missing and I don't know what it is. Doesn't that make you sad? We're surrounded by people who are desperately thirsty and they don't know how to satisfy themselves. And Tom Brady obviously is thirsty. And do you know what I wish I could say so badly to Tom Brady and John Mayer? Do you know what I wish I could say to them? Here's what I wish I could say. I'd say, guys, this is what you need. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. I just wish I could say that to them and help them see that. And that if you drink of this water, it will become a spring in you welling up to eternal life. And Maybe you're one of those people who feels thirsty. And I'm really glad you're here. God has brought you here to hear this. And yet this woman, in spite of this incredible offer from Jesus, she still doesn't get it. She's still not connecting the dots. She's still not connecting what Jesus is saying to what's actually happening in her own life. And so she says to Jesus, she says, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to water, to get water. She's still thinking that Jesus is offering her some kind of like magical, mystical, physical water that if she drinks it once, she'll never be physically thirsty again. She doesn't get what Jesus is offering. She doesn't want to come to the well anymore. So she says, Jesus, give me this water. Whatever this water is, I want it. Because I'm sick of coming to this well every day. 
And so Jesus decides to expose. I love how Jesus does this. He decides to expose just how ragged her thirst is. And so he says to her, down in verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And I love this because Jesus goes straight to the heart of just how desperately thirsty she is. This woman's life is a mess, an absolute mess. She hasn't had one husband. She hasn't had two husbands. She's had five husbands. And the person that she's living with now is not her husband. Five, just... How do you get to, in a, to be in a place like that? I, I don't even know all the circumstances, but you just imagine, did, did she divorce them? Did they divorce her? Did she commit adultery? What, was she one of those people who just slept around with different people? How did she get to that place where she's had five different husbands and is living with someone else now? And I think this is why the woman was coming to the well alone by herself, because she's ashamed of her life. Whether she admits it or not, she, she has a reputation as being someone who has a really messed up, broken up life. And this woman is desperate to find satisfaction and to fill the emptiness in her. And so she's gone from relationship to broken relationship to broken relationship, desperately trying to satisfy herself with people, trying to satisfy this thirst in her. And so Jesus exposes it and he says to her, go call your husband and bring him here. All that she tried never worked. All that she tried to do to satisfy herself never worked worked and the world would probably say that she is dysfunctional but i love this because she's not too dysfunctional for jesus is she and she's not too messed up for jesus i mean if if you had a woman come to you and explain this situation to you wouldn't you say wow you have a really dysfunctional life but i love that jesus goes after this woman And she's not too messed up for Jesus. And Jesus is offering her water that will finally, once for all, totally do the thing she's been so desperate to have, and that's satisfier. And I would imagine that there are some of you here, you feel just like this woman. Maybe some of you teens, you feel like this woman. Or you're in college, or you're pursuing your career, and you have gone from thing to thing to thing to try to satisfy yourself, and you've tried relationships, you've tried money, you've tried losing yourself in your job, you've tried boyfriend, girlfriend, you've tried hobbies, sports, and yet nothing satisfies you. And you feel like Tom Brady. Surely there's got to be more than this. And today... Jesus is offering you living water in himself. He's offering you himself. He is the living water that can and will satisfy you like nothing ever satisfied you before. He's offering you a relationship with him, the Son of God. So you were made 
You, you want to know why you're not satisfied? It's because you were made to be in a relationship with the living God. God created you like that. You were created to orbit around God. And as long as everything is orbiting around you, and rather than you orbiting around God, your life is going to be messed up. I can promise you that everything will set, seem out of whack. And so this morning, Jesus would say to all who are thirsty, He'd say, would you quit trying to satisfy yourself with the salt water of hobbies and sports and friends and relationships and drugs and alcohol and music and whatever else? Those things aren't bad. Most of those things aren't bad. Drugs, okay. I'll give you that. But Jesus would say to you, let me give you real water. Quit trying to satisfy yourself on salt water. Let me give you real water. And this, I feel like this is a very helpful reminder for those of us who are Christians as well. Because aren't we dissatisfied so often? Aren't we discontent so often? I am. I am discontent in so many different situations. Some of them seemingly ridiculous situations, like when it's just like a crazy time in my house and there's kids running everywhere and I just want peace and I'm discontent, or there's bigger situations when our budget is tight. Or There's just so many different situations when we can feel discontent and we forget where our life comes from. And Jesus is the only one in every circumstance who can give us true life-giving refreshment. When we're weary in the midst of a trial, the ultimate solution is not that our circumstances would change, as wonderful as that would be. The ultimate solution is that we would go to Jesus Christ and find our refreshment there and find the life-giving water that He gives. And so when we feel discontent, whether that's because our house is too small or we're not married or our job stinks or school stinks or our kids are going crazy, the solution ultimately is not a circumstance change, but Jesus. And so I just want to encourage us this week, when we feel discontent breathing in our heart, let's run to Jesus and say, Jesus, satisfy me with you, the living water, please. I'm tempted to be to think that something else is going to satisfy me. Jesus, satisfy me with you. The living water, the refreshment of my soul, satisfy me, Jesus. And I know some of you guys work insane jobs where you're up at 4 in the morning and you're not home until 6 o'clock p.m. And it can be hard to make time to spend time with God, whether in the Bible and in prayer. And can I just appeal to you? Just find a way to do it, if at all possible. Even if it's just for 15 minutes, listening to the Bible on your commute to work. Because that's one of the main ways Jesus will refresh you is through His Word. Through His Word and through prayer. That's how Jesus will refresh your soul. So let's ask Jesus this week to refresh us. Now it's interesting how people react when you start prying into their life, isn't it? And this woman, initially, she she seems to get pretty uncomfortable when Jesus starts talking about her marital life. And so this brings us to the second point, which is that Jesus is the source of worship, the source of satisfaction and the source of worship. And so in verse 19, 
This woman, she says to Jesus, she says, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in, Jer- that Jerusalem, in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She's not very subtle when it comes to changing the subject, is she? She's like, yeah, on the subject of my marriage, what do you think about where we should worship? She's not very good at those subtle subject changes. But it's interesting because Jesus goes along with her. He doesn't change the subject back to the original one. And I think probably the reason is because ultimately this woman's problem is not a relationship problem. It's a worship problem. She's worshiping the wrong thing. She's worshiping her relationships with men. And so Jesus wants to talk to her about what true worship looks like. And so Jesus answers her in verse 21. He says, it says, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Now Jesus, what he's doing here is he informs her that the time is coming. There's a time coming when worship will not be up in this temple on the mountain, nor will it be in the temple in Jerusalem. Samaritans worshipped on the mountain. Jews worshipped in Jerusalem. And Jesus saying, look, a time's coming when neither one's going to matter. And for Jesus to say that, Jesus, a pious Jew to say that is incredible because for the Jews, Jerusalem was the place where worship of God happened. And Jesus is saying, pretty soon you're not going to be worshiping God in a special location. And then he clarifies, he says, in verses 23 and 24, he says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. These verses are really important. See, this woman had this perception that if she went to the temple and did all the worship things that... I'm not even sure all that the Samaritans did in their temple, but she had this perception that if she went to the temple, did all her duties, that was true worship of God. And meanwhile, her life is a mess. And she's separating that out. She's separating worship of God from her life. So Jesus tells her what it means to be a true worshiper of God. And he says, first of all, that true worshipers, he says they worship in spirit and in truth. And I think what Jesus means first and foremost here is that worship, when, to worship God rightly, it's a matter of the heart. It is not primarily about externals about going to this place or going to this place or kneeling or standing or lighting incense. We can be preoccupied with externals and forget that what matters most is what's going on in our heart. And Jesus is concerned about this woman's heart because it was not in the right place with God. And so when, when he's talking to her about it, he says, look, ultimately it's not about where, but about what's going on in spirit, in your heart. She was living a life full of adultery. And true worship happens in our spirit to God by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not primarily about externals. And that's because Jesus said, he says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
And so when we worship God, He wants us to worship Him first and foremost focused on our heart. Are we engaging with all our soul and all our strength with God both when we come in here on a Sunday and throughout the week? Worship is not just Sunday. Worship is seven days a week how we live as well. So when we come together on a Sunday, are we concerned primarily about externals or are we seeking to worship God with all our heart? When we're living throughout the week, are we thinking that if we just... Mm, are we just thinking we can live how we want as long as we come in on a Sunday and do the right thing? That's not what Jesus is, is saying. Worship is about our heart. And when we sing and when we live and when we pray, it must all be worship to God from our hearts. And so I think this passage should gently remind us of two things. First of all, our life matters in our worship. And so the way that we live Monday to Saturday is also worship. And so I just want to exhort all of us and ask all of us, does our life reflect a life that worships God? And the way we do that is by living in holiness. Does our life reflect, or do we just come in on Sunday and then separate that from the rest of our week? Because God's concerned about our hearts. And then the second thing that this reminds us is when we gather together, like right now, to worship God and to sing. How do we think about worship? How do we think about the singing? Do we think of it as just a little bit of an add-on to the rest of the Sunday morning? As just the thing you do before you listen to the message? Because worship really matters to God. It says God is seeking true worshipers. And so let's, let's just let this be a gentle reminder that when we come together and we sing together, let's take that seriously. Let's seek to worship God with all of our heart and all of our strength and all of our soul. Now, don't get me wrong. There's lots of distractions. I'm not in any way saying it's not distracting at times. I, this morning I was in my office and I'm getting ready, and Karis just dumps a bottle of water all over my pants. And so that's going through my mind as I'm trying to do this stuff. And then I'm singing, and I'm trying to hold my daughter Ella, and she's asking for my water bottle. There's plenty of distractions. I'm not trying to say there shouldn't be distractions, but just where's our heart when we come together and worship? Let's seek by God's grace to, when we're singing, to engage with all our heart and all our might. And even... I think this is a reminder to us that if we're able to, let's try to be here so that we have enough time to to get our kids to class and get here when the singing starts so we can all sing together. And I know it's hard to get kids ready on time and kids are dumping Cheerios on each other. This is not a rebuke in any way. You guys are wonderful at this, but it's hard. I think it's hard for us as parents especially, and it requires an effort, but worship really matters to God. It really does. So let's come together on Sundays and worship in spirit with all our hearts. And then Jesus also says we need to worship him in truth. Just you got to remember in this context, Jesus was talking about the temples. Remember, he's talking about the temple on the mountain and the temple in Jerusalem. And I think what Jesus is meaning here primarily is there's coming a time when it's not the temple on the mount or in Jerusalem that matters. I'm the new temple. Remember when Jesus cleared out the temple in Jerusalem and he said, tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it? He was talking about himself. As Christians, Jesus Christ is our temple. And we worship God through Jesus Christ. 
and through his sacrifice for us. And this gives meaning to when we come together, doesn't it? Because when we come together and sing, you know what we're doing? We're entering into the temple of the living God. When you sit down in the morning to pray and to read your Bible and you've got your coffee, you know what you're doing? That's the temple. You're coming to God through Jesus and you're going into the most holy place through the temple, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the truth and we worship God through Him. Our culture says truth is whatever you want it to be. You've got to find out your own truth. That's not true. Jesus Christ is the truth and we can only worship God through Jesus, our temple. And aren't you grateful that you get to go into the temple? Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that tomorrow morning you can wake up and sit down to read and pray and God is inviting you into the temple, the, the temple of the real, true, living God where the, His Spirit is. Doesn't that blow your mind? That is awesome. And we lose sight of that so fast. And then finally, after this whole conversation, the woman says to Jesus, he says, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus says, I'm the one. I'm the one who has promised to come. I am the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior, the new temple, the source of satisfaction. What went through her mind? Did she think, wait a second, this guy, the Messiah, God's promised Savior and King, is he the one who gives me living water? Is he the one who will be the new temple? Who is this guy? And Jesus is saying, I, I'm the one. I'm talking to you. I'm the one. I'm the temple. I'm the giver of life. I'm the only one who allows true worship of God. And I think this is an important question for all of us. What goes through your mind when you hear those words? When you hear Jesus say, I am the Messiah, that means God's anointed king. That means that Jesus truly is the Son of God and our only Savior and the King of the world who we owe allegiance to. What goes through your mind when you hear that? Jesus is the one God sent to give you spiritual life. And if you're thirsty, quit drinking out of mud puddles. You're being insane. Quit drinking out of mud puddles and come to Jesus. He wants to give you spiritual life. If, if that's you this morning, can I just ask you to do this? And you don't have to do this with anybody. You can if you want to, but just say, Jesus, Please forgive me for my sins. Please forgive me for trying to satisfy myself. Because, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you to forgive me. Please forgive me. I want you to be my king. I want my life to orbit around you. And if you do that, you will find satisfaction. And if you came with somebody this morning who is a Christian, can I challenge you to do something? Ask them. Just say, what is this satisfaction like? It doesn't mean that you don't have hard, difficult times. Oh, but it's the deepest satisfaction in the world. If you want to know what it's like, ask my dad. 
If you want to know what it's like, ask my friend Tony. If you want to know what it's like, ask my friend Doug. They can tell you what their life was like before they had it and after they had it. So ask them. Come to Jesus. What you're, if you're trying to worship, if you're a religious person and you're trying to worship apart from Jesus, that's not worship. Because you can only worship through Jesus. And for those of us who are Christians, let's just let this remind us Jesus can refresh us. He's the giver of spiritual life. He's the giver of life. And let's have Jesus' eyes for those who are around us, for those who are thirsty. Let's be on the lookout for those who just seem thirsty so we can offer them water. So what I'd like to do now is I'd like to have the band come up, and I want to pray. Let's stand together. I just want to ask Jesus to satisfy us because we... it's just easy to be satisfied with other things. I fall into that trap so often. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I praise you that you, you are the giver of living water. So grateful to have that living water, Jesus. I'm so grateful that you have saved me. And that I have living water. Lord, I pray for all of us that this week we would run to you for refreshment in the midst of trial and difficulty. Jesus, you're the one who gives life, overflowing, abundant spiritual life. Please fill us this week. Fill us, God. Lord, we're tired of the many times when we're dull and dry. We don't want to be dull and dry. Jesus, we know you've already given us living water. Lord, we just ask that you would freshly fill us with it and satisfy us in you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you and who are thirsty, that you would satisfy them too, that they would know you, the source of living water. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.